Hey, hey, homesteaders, and welcome to the TLC Mini Farm Podcast, where we discuss all things related to urban homesteading. I am your host, Tawny Fan. Today, we have a special guest and an Instagram friend joining us for this episode. He has his own YouTube channel. He was one of 12 Gardeners of the Year for Burpee Seeds and Plants in 2020. And John Kohler from Growing Your Greens did a tour of his urban garden. Hey, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tony, great for uh, having me. It's nice to be on this podcast. Yeah, I'm so happy you agreed to join us on our show. And um, just so for our listeners, Brian and I, we know each other from the Instagram community. And I think I joined in 2017 and I found Brian's account pretty early on and started following. But we've also met in real life, right, Brian? Yeah, we met uh, on a seat swap and um, I had a really good time talking to you about plants and seeds and, um, and learned that you uh, keep quails. So that was really awesome to learn about and learn some quail keeping. Yeah. And for those of you who have never heard of a seed swap, so (laughs) here in SoCal, uh, we have, and I think around other places as well, if you have someone organizing it, but a real hens of Orange County, she organizes a seed swap twice a year. So for those of us that live in the greater LA or Orange County area, we do get together, swap seeds, swap plants, which is super, super fun. And so that's where I met Brian. And in fact, I remember one of the things he brought to the seed swap was, I think it was blue wheat. And he said, Hey, I think your quails might be interested in, in maybe pecking at the, uh, the wheat. So just those little things that you learn about when you meet new people and, and spread your, uh, kind of, uh, hobbies and interests out there. And you're just like, Oh, blue wheat, that's new. So thanks for that, Brian. Oh yeah. I remember that now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was a while ago. That was probably like maybe two years ago. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about your homestead. Um, my homestead, I, I, I'm really happy to be on the show because if uh, you had asked me about being on the show, maybe two months ago, I would be like, um, I don't consider myself a homesteader, but I'm more of a gardener and plant enthusiast. But, um, this pandemic has made me realize that there are a lot of homesteading attributes in, um, what we grow and do here. And my homestead is on an urban lot near downtown Los Angeles and it's 8,000 square feet, which is a lot. However, a third of it is on a really steep uh, slope, but we're, we're able to grow a lot from the front yard portion of it, uh, a lot of the backyard, and finding a blend between having open space for my two kids who are seven and younger to play in. Um, so the front yard is an area that I started developing the last couple of years. It's a good spot. There's a lot of sun and um, I used to be very nervous about growing out there. So I found a way to grow and, and kind of hide my plants. And in doing so and spending all the time out there, I met a lot of community members. And because of the pandemic, people did a lot of walking. I met a lot of people out there. And they really made me feel really comfortable about growing because they approached me and say, that's really cool that you have a garden out here. And um, it'd be cool if we could do this on our property as well. And, and that's a cool thing because uh, anybody can start a homestead with a lot. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have a very similar size lot then I'm close to 8,000 square feet as well. And similar to you, when we bought this home, we had all grass at the front. It looks just like every other home uh, driving into the neighborhood. And I find that it's been a trend 
that more and more people are adding edible landscape to their front yard. So it's interesting that you use the word hide your plants, <laughs> just because I think uh, people aren't quite used to that. And um, but I think it's definitely more popular now. Are you seeing more and more of that in your neighborhood? Yeah, definitely see more and more of that. Um, the reason I felt uncomfortable with is because when I looked out my front yard and all I saw was just very traditional uh, landscaping. And um, I was never one to want to really stick out. So I put a plant edible here and edible there and um, kind of blended it in. Uh, but I've started to see more and more uh, plants where people grow in their front yard. And uh, I've also met some gardeners who have tossed seeds over the fence and say, hey, Brian, did you get those seeds I threw over? And it's, it's good to, to see that, see lots of um, other people growing as well. Yeah, I agree. And when I started growing in the front, I was very, um, again, I tried to blend it in and I grew stuff that I think if people walked by, they would know it was obviously a veggie, but it would be a talking point, right? People would stop and say, hey, what are you growing there? That's really cool. And it didn't make, we didn't make it look like a farm or anything at the front. It was blended in nicely with some things that we did with our drought tolerant plant. But I do think about there's so many plants out there that are that are edible, that could look just like landscaping um, plants, like artichoke, for example, like that looks like a drought tolerant plant of some sort that like if you put it out there, people had to look real closely, but it's got a beautiful purple flower if you let it go. So I would just love to see that trend continue with more people like you slowly converting um, your front yard into a growing space to add to your homestead. Yeah, it's a, the front is a great space um, if you're trying to keep your backyard open if you have small children to play in or if you have a lot of shade in the backyard and um and you don't feel too comfortable with planting um tuck a plant around some some other plants and it's a good way to get something out of your front yard as well yeah agreed totally 100 and love it so let me ask you this so what is your inspiration that got you to begin gardening to kind of spark that interest to begin growing these things around your your home that you can harvest and enjoy and feed your family with or share with family and friends? This is um, something that I get asked a lot. Um, and it has to go back all the way to my childhood. We watched a lot of, uh, my brothers and I, we watched a lot of PBS programming. That's a public broadcast station. Is that, I think station is the last acronym. And um, we watched a lot of the programming there. And the programming has a lot of things that, I do these days that are very homestead-ish um, or homestead-related areas, uh, woodworking, uh, cooking, and gardening. So early on, I watched a lot of, uh, I think the show's called The Victory Garden, and the host was Roger Swain. And I watched a lot of the East Coast. His, his garden and climate is East Coast. I, I got a lot of my initial garden knowledge that's been sitting in the back of my head as I'm growing up and doing other things. And um, creating and, and making the, my own things has been something that I've had for the longest time. Um, and for us, it was a way to have something that we can get to because when we grew up, we didn't have access to restaurant made food. So we made it at home and um, growing and, and creating is something that originated from those programming. And it's something that I, I try to share with people as much as possible the stuff that I've learned. 
Yeah, you're taking me back because I remember watching TV and one of the shows that I really enjoyed was Square Foot Gardening. <laughs> do you remember watching that show? Uh, that one I, I, I do not remember. Yeah. I might have been when I was off to do something else. <laughs> yeah. And then there was also, I don't know if it was on PBS, but there was, I remember being much younger watching a show called Square Foot Gardening a long time ago. And I'm just the whole concept of dividing everything into neat little squares. And depending on what you're growing, you can put one seed or two or four. It was, it was based on this grid system. And for someone who is like super anal about space and lining things up, it just aligned with how my brain worked. But anyways, yeah, I remember those things and you don't necessarily like jump on board at that time, but I think it makes an impression on you just thinking like what you can do, what's possible. And then when you get to a phase of your life where you're like, oh, I'm ready to do this now but it really comes from maybe things that we had seen or learned many years earlier. Right. Yeah. The, um, the other one, the other big one that I, I can't forget and almost forgot um, is that it also is a way to relive some of the good parts of my childhood. Um, be able to create some of the dishes that my mom, my mom or my grandma or my aunts make. Um, and some of that, some of those ingredients you have to grow yourself. So that's a big part of the, of a big inspiration for starting a garden is just finding those hard to find ingredients in your garden because it's hard to find it at the store. Yeah. So what you can't find, you grow your own, right? So that's, yeah. that I could see that too, especially like for you and I coming from, you know, an Asian culture and background, you can't just go to any grocery store to buy the ingredients we need for those traditional or cultural dishes that we grew up uh, loving and enjoying. So trying to replicate that, you have to have the right ingredients. Yeah, definitely do. Yeah. So how has your approach to gardening or even homesteading changed over the years since you've started? Because I, I feel like you're, you're, I put you probably in the category of experience slash maybe veteran side. So has anything changed for you in your approach of how you set things up, how you go about doing things in your garden? Um, it has changed quite a bit. It's the first part is just finding that, uh, as a warm climate grower, a lot of the best practices or approaches, uh, are more centric for cooler climates like East coast. So for us, we have a very long growing season. We have to be mindful about the intensity of the sun and heat and going to college and, um, taking some elective courses and I was really drawn into the earth system sciences courses and um, that changed a lot because it, it just kind of opens myself up to a different perspective about how plants grow and um, so a lot of my approaches have come from that and then on top of that um, just to make things interesting uh, to try something new I'm always experimenting either with a new process of growing something or a plant that doesn't grow in this climate, I would try and um, see if I can grow. So, so the, for me, the biggest thing is just seeing the garden, the space in terms of microclimates. And that's a lot of microclimate is, is a big area that you can really spend a lot of time in. You can have a microclimate and then a microclimate within it, or sometimes creating a microclimate. So for instance, this year, I'm experimenting with creating a microclimate around the tomato plants that I grow. So I grow 
a lot of indeterminate varieties in a in it those grow up vertically and as the plant grows the bottom portion of the leaves just go away and your that plant has is exposed so i'm playing with this microclimate idea where i'm going to plant some uh, shrubby plants like marigold or something and seeing if that helps the plant so uh for me approach has gone from kind of uh textbook to more of experimentation and just seeing if i can squeeze a little bit more out of the growing year if I try a different method. Yeah, so you brought up an interesting term of microclimate. And I don't mind if we go down this this rabbit hole for just a moment, because I will tell you, I did not really learn about microclimates until we moved to this home. So prior to moving here, I was already gardening, but we did not have a microclimate in our previous home because we had pretty much all like a hardscaped backyard and I was doing container gardening and our yard was fairly small. So then we moved to this home and we have a much larger lot. We have spaces further away from our home, which is a building. So you have areas that are more exposed, less sun, north facing, south facing, things like that. And that was where I really learned as a gardener about this concept of a microclimate, even within your own backyard or, or your garden space, right? So it was really interesting because I had um, trees that I was trying to grow, fruit trees, and um, I was noticing like you would check the forecast and they would say, okay, your nighttime temps are, let's say 40. So you're like, okay, my plants are good. And then you wake up and all of a sudden you have parts of your trees where the leaves are like, there's like frost on it. You could tell like it got way below 40 and it was only certain pockets of my yard. And I kind of had to determine, oh, okay. Cause it's in more of an exposed open spot. So that's just some of those things that even you could be gardening for quite some time and not really recognize that, or you never really even have to notice it because it doesn't really apply maybe in your growing area. But I think for you and I, because you have slope, I have slope. We also have front yard, backyard and different areas with how the orientation to the sun that, you know, for people who might be new into gardening, right. And setting up their garden spaces to be uh, kind of on the watch for how their plants react differently to different parts of their yard. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the beginning, you would grow based on what um, your climate can, can support. And as you grow more, then you can focus in on microclimates and then start bending some of those best practice guidelines um, into something that you can uh, get more out of. Um, and so through the years, I've kind of learned that there are different practices that you can use. And it's it, for me, I started off with, which is, I started off with a lot of conventional gardening knowledge and that's like a very scaled down version of farming. Um, so you, you have pretty much a scaled down um, micro farm where you have everything in nice grids and everything. And then I started tr transitioning more to the permaculture type of uh, space where you do in inter planting of different crops and all that stuff. Um, in this, at the same time, I noticed that you can bring the two and have the two together, or you can have it separate and you can uh, have all these different types of ways to grow things. And that is more for me, switching a mindset of a best strategy mindset to more of a purpose mindset where um, I'm trying to see if I'm trying to grow 
a particular corn, like a Peruvian corn here um, in this climate versus I can't grow it because it's too warm here. So that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. for me a big switch. It's just kind of um, going from best practices, which sometimes locks you into what you can do versus a purpose-minded where you can uh, kind of unlock and kind of bend some things to, to get the results that you want to get. Yeah, that's a great point, because I really think about when you look at seeds or seed packages, right, and you're learning about it and you're reading about it, and we typically see it's divided into two categories, warm season and cool season. And so if you go with best practice, knowing like there's certain growing seasons, what grows best at whatever, then you may limit yourself and not try things that would be a cool season crop during let's say spring or summer thinking like, Oh, I'm only supposed to grow this during certain parts of the year. So I I guess maybe for me, that's kind of what I started thinking about right away when you were talking about the idea of kind of bending those traditional sort of conventional, um, techniques. When I first started, uh, growing vegetables and, and fruit, we started with veggies first, but I had no concept that there was a difference between cool season and warm season crops. Like you just, and and I think part of it is, is we go to the market and everything is there, right? We see the exact same things throughout the year, not knowing that things are, are seasonal. And so when I started gardening, then I was like, oh, things are actually differentiated. This, you grow this during the summer, you grow this. And so then you learn, because again, all these varieties have different needs, you know, but so then I kind of got locked into because of the seed packet telling me best time to grow, but you and I are in, you know, this very warm, um, location, 10, a 10 B ish. And you mentioned the long growing season, we can try all these things. So I think that's, that's a really, um, unique thing in certain areas of what your growing zones are. And just to, to bend those rules and, and play around, like you said, and, and, and experiment. Yeah, yeah. The um, the cool season, warm season stuff is something that uh, I learned as a beginning gardener because, um, you know, we have this idea that you plant a seed and you have sun and light and it should grow. But then there's uh, there are additional factors like how, how hot or how cold it is outside and whether the plant likes it or not. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So just having this idea of being purpose minded as kind of like the mindset, if, as opposed to seeking out best strategies, what are some other things you've maybe done differently over the years then around the garden or at, or in your homestead? Uh, one of the, one of the biggest things I've done differently is shifted the way in which I grow my plants in regard to the number of type of plants that I grow and how much I anticipate to harvest. Um, for me, as I get more and more into cooking, uh, I find that I need more and more ingredients and, or I want to grow more and more ingredients because that's part of the fun of it. Uh, I want to grow like a, an entire dish, um, ingredients for an entire dish. So I, instead of planting a bed of, you know, one type of vegetable, I would plant um, a different numbers of plant, vegetables. And by just having the experience of growing these plants in the past, I have a pretty good idea how much they yield. So I plant for the purpose of getting a particular amount of um, food out of the plant. So for instance, I know that zucchini, each once it gets going, one plant will be enough to feed uh, my family. 
So instead of planting four plants, I would plant one. Uh, same thing goes for tomatoes. So I try to anticipate what the yield is and, and then plant accordingly. Um, and that goes with a lot of the different types of crops. And that, the, the great thing about that is then you have variety in the things that you harvest. And the whole purpose-minded versus best strategy, that, that's a pretty big concept that I've been thinking about a lot lately because um, as you grow things and as you grow as a person, um, your skill set grows. And then sometimes you, you really forget how far you've come along. And as you grow, your, your strategies are going to change. Um, starting out, if I had gone and tried a best practice strategy, I think I would probably frustrate myself a lot um, because it's, it's something that it takes time to get to, to be able to really utilize that best practice strategy. So uh, one, one example is when I start my seeds. Um, these days, I, I use what you might consider best practice for seed starting, which is I emulate from the pros and my equipment is um, from that area. But if I had to try to start early on, which I did, uh, I got one of those 72 cell tray seed starter um, things. And I, I didn't have a good time with it because I wasn't sowing 72 of one plant. And the way I was working my soil medium, I was putting it in there and it was really hard to pop those seeds out. So uh, I gave back on it. I, I gave up on it. I've set it aside and, and thought about, hey, what's, what at my level, what, what is a, a purposeful method to do uh, to start these seeds? So I took a step back. And um, now as I get to this uh, new level, I can now use this best practice and I start my seeds that way. Um, so for me, like having the best practice in, in mind while you're, you're getting to that area and, and working on your purpose, that's, I think that's really important. It's so funny you say that because I, I, as you were talking about, I was picturing popping out a seedling from a multi-cell tray, right? Where one's ready to go, but the others aren't. Because they don't yeah. necessarily germinate and grow at the same rate. And even in a six cell, all six aren't going to be at the same rate. And then you kind of risk as you remove one potentially damaging the other or they don't have enough space. They're kind of growing into each other. So I have seen some folks do it or if they they'll, they'll like skip cells, right, spaces. So they've they've come up with their own strategy with for the equipment that they have. But then for me, I just kind of go back to. If they were all in their own individual containers, then they can each grow at their own rate and pace. And then I can either up pot or transplant as needed once they're ready without really messing with, I guess, the 72 cells, right? But yeah, I do see a lot of people using the 72 cell. I'm like, wow, that didn't quite work for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was, that was a really long-winded way of saying um, just finding things that will work for you and then grow into something that is the best practice strategy. Um, yeah. So how do you, how long do you feel like it's taken you to get to this place of feeling really like comfortable with the choices that you're making to be purpose-minded? So kind of going back to like how, 
how long did it take you to figure out uh, how much you need to grow of each thing? Um, Because you've had experience with that plant to then determine yield for that planting. Um, I would say probably if I'm starting with a new plant, maybe one season. But at the same time, uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad, so I get to spend a lot of time in the garden. So um, it may I have that advantage. But um, as when it comes to um, that observation, you also can base it off of things that you have observed in the past. So basically, you know, you know, this type of tomato will grow this way. And if you start with a new variety, it's probably likely going to have those, those same qualities. So you can build on your observations. So to answer your question, I would say about maybe a, a growing season. Yeah, I would agree. Cause then you get a good feel after you've tried growing the plant. And if you've grown different varieties too, cause you talked about indeterminate tomatoes. And if for some folks that aren't aware, there's indeterminate and there's determinate, right? So the, the yield on those varieties are also different. And then also the way they are all ready to be harvested at different points or all at the same time can also be part of the purpose-minded. <laughs> Cause like for me, I like to just kind of have a little bit throughout the season. I don't like a ton of things all happening at one time. And if I harvest too much, I'm like, I don't have the time to process and, and make jars and jars of tomato sauce. So determinant doesn't quite work for me. Um, I would rather have indeterminate just because again, it's a continuous production uh, on that plant. But those are those things I think sometimes um, it takes, it takes a season to kind of grow different varieties to kind of figure that out and then try it again, maybe the next season. Yeah. I have a couple of more examples that will really, really drive home the point of um, best practices versus purpose-minded. Mind, purpose, uh, and that has to do, one example is um, bare root, planting bare root trees. And when you get a bare root tree, there are some people who say, you know, you chop off one third of it and then um, plant the tree. Um, that's probably the best practice, but for a purpose-minded um, person like myself, I've planted bare root trees and I've chopped off the plant um, from a little bit to a lot to nothing um, for specific purposes. So one example is a bare root peach tree and I planted it in a place where I didn't want it taller than the fence line. So I chopped it in half. There is another tree, um, another peach that I planted in a different place. And I actually needed it to grow tall because that's where the sun is. And I just left it alone. And now it's producing a lot of peaches. And then I had a cherry tree that I planted in my front yard. And I took that thing all the way down to uh, about what's three inches. And that's now growing into a little tiny low bush type of tree. So um, if I was to go to the best you know, practice, then all those trees would be all chopped one third and they will all have the same shape. But um, looking at the space and what I want, then I decide accordingly. Another um, example that I've observed is the best practice of growing peppers. And um, there is a good pra best practice where you also cut the pepper plant and 
um, that results in a lot of peppers. And for me, I, I have also a purpose-minded uh, view of it where I don't chop off a third. And that's because uh, I want certain peppers early on. So when you chop off your pepper plants, you're delaying that production. Uh, for me, when it comes to jalapenos, I don't need a basket full of them. I just need a, a couple of them. And to get them early in the season is great because then uh, that's, you know, I can just go to the garden, get the jalapenos and, um, and put them in my dishes versus having to go to the store. So those, those are the two biggest uh, points that, and the, that I try to maintain and look whenever I plant my things and, and when I go and read about how to grow things because it's, it's good to go on online and, and learn about new techniques and stuff. And then I take that and see how that can be uh, blended into what I do with my, my homestead. Yeah, those two are really good examples because those are strategies that we quite often hear. Um, peppers for sure, especially right now in the spring, right? Everyone's got their pepper seedlings at a certain place. So you're kind of seeing uh, the idea of go ahead and pinch the top or snip it and it, you'll, it'll grow bushier. But if people don't understand the concept of, yes, you'll have a stockier, bushier plant, but now it's going to delay production, right? So they actually need, to, people need to really understand what that strategy, the purpose of that strategy, like why would you want to do that? And then same thing with the trees. That's, that's a really, really good example too, because there's um, so many different shapes in which our trees can grow depending on the space. Do you want it to be, um, well, first of all, do you even have the space for a certain size tree? Because the cool thing with a lot of fruit trees is it can be pruned and trimmed to fit into an area and still be productive, right? You don't need to have a 20 foot plum tree. You can have a compact tree that's been trimmed a certain way. So people just need to know and understand that if you do a, it'll yield B, right? And yeah. that, um, so cutting it and trimming a bare root tree right off the get-go isn't always the best strategy because you end up again with a shorter, stockier tree or a vase-shaped um, kind of how the branches will grow away from the top because you've already uh, topped it. So yeah, those are both are really, really good examples of being purpose-minded and purposeful in the, in the why we do what we do in the garden. So that's great. So that goes back to, again, having that mindset to also experiment and try different things. Um, and so if people are growing peppers, they may want to, they might want to try right now. If you have two peppers, uh, top one and not the other and compare, right. And see and yeah. observe, like you said, you have um, time to observe and make notes. And then from that determine then next year or next season, how you'll approach it. But that's a great experiment right there. Take two pepper plants uh, top off one and leave the other one the same and, and see how it goes for you. And the other thing too, is, is you can also then have peppers early off of the one that you didn't trim. And then you'll have peppers later from the plant that you trim. So it doesn't have to be, uh, all, all or nothing. It could be yeah. a little bit of everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can totally do both. Cause, um, there might be some that you're just needing a big batch to make hot sauce with and you're preserving. So you're not needing it early um, or early on. So, um, you know, top those guys. And then, uh, like you're saying, just experiment because one variety might be different from the other one might respond better to topping and one may not. Yeah. I've definitely found like with, um, 
hot peppers versus sweet peppers. And I don't know if this is me and I know you grow a lot of variety of varieties of peppers, but it seems like hot peppers for me grow at such a slow pace that I always feel hesitant to pinch or to top them off. Cause I'm like, they grow so slow to begin with. And now I'm taking some growth off of it. But, um, it also takes a while for them to produce peppers anyway. So I guess it just doesn't bother me. I just snip it and know that it's going to continue to thrive and it, it will grow. And in our climate for our peppers, and I think anywhere else, you, you need some intense heat for it to even do anything anyway. So until you get some sun, it's really not going to do much. So for us to top or spring, uh, I mean, or top it in the spring, it just makes sense. But yeah, I don't top all my peppers. I only do it for some as well. So I'm, I'm glad you affirmed my uh, strategies that I'm using here on my mini farm. <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> right. Thank you. So I do have a question. Thank you for sharing both those examples because it really does exemplify the idea of best strategies versus um, keeping the purpose and end goal in mind. So I have now just kind of this thought. You've been growing things for a really long time. What are some must-haves every year for you? Because I know as gardeners, we're very tempted to constantly like try new things. I want to grow that. I'm going to grow this for the first time. But are there some things that are just tried and true and you just love so much that it, you will always grow it every season, no matter what, because it's just one of those things for you? Um, my list is quite long. I was, I was approached by a seed company and um, I said, hey, you know, one of the things I want to do is... Um, grow these show people how to seed start and I gave them a list of all the things that are in my kitchen garden that I feel would be um, kind of applicable to everyone and it came out to be pretty long um, but for me must-haves in the garden I'm, I'm very pragmatic minded so for me a lot of things I grow it kind of the things I, I talk about are the things that are great to grow because they're easy and they have a big impact on your wallet uh in the in the beneficial sense is uh time i cook a, a lot of with time and i have that in the garden it grows as a pretty well here in southern california so i always have time i've added parsley to the mix because parsley uh, there are certain varieties that will grow as throughout the year we don't have to replant um there are some that are just plants that I've just grow because it was one of the things I grew early on, like zucchini. And I grow a particular variety of black beauty. It's heirloom variety. It's a dark squash. It's a pretty plant. So I grow that all the time. Um, tomatoes, there's, there's the Roma tomato. It's a very pragmatic kitchen garden tomato. And that one is a little bit special for me because um, I used to work in IT and um, we, when my, when my dad passed away, um, my coworkers gave me a tomato plant and a packet of Roma tomato seeds. Um, so we, 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 instead of flowers, um, I got that. So I've been growing seeds from that packet uh, and then the subsequent, um, I saved the seeds and subsequent um, plantings there. So th that one's special. That's also one that I've been growing for the longest time. Um, and then a lot of paste tomatoes. I'm trying to find varieties that are very productive. And my current favorite is the ox heart because it's, it grows this really large paste tomato, very pragmatic to use. You just pick that off and you can cook with it. 
Um, other things are pepper plants. I had mentioned the, the jalapeno. Uh, I grew up eating a lot of soup noodle. And now as a homesteader and a stay-at-home dad, it's a very quick, convenient, and economical way to, to eat um, my meals. And uh, I just get the jalapeno and I pickle it and it adds so much flavor to the soup. Um, and speaking of which, the shallots, there's these shallots that my family's been growing for the longest time ever since uh, living in California. And I have the shallots from, from, that, from their garden. So I grow that. And uh, I think it might be a Thai shallot or it might be a Vietnamese shallot. I, it's um, very similar to Itoli. Um, and I, it's a lot of labor to slice it up, but I, I slice it up, fry it, stays in the pantry and I add it to some soup noodles and it's like, it's umami. It, it brings all the flavor in. Another easy to grow is uh, green onion. And um, that that is probably the plant I would tell everyone to grow because it's an easy plant to grow. Um, you just slice it up and throw it into something and it'll make it a lot more flavorful. But uh, yes, and, and then now I'm getting into peppers and more peppers to make sauces and paprika powder. So um, it's a pretty long list. And those are more of the interesting ones. If I think of any other ones, I'll just throw it out there. Yeah. So I, your, your must have list. I love it just because it's very like kitchen garden oriented, which you, you um, meant, but it's funny that you talked about your, one of your favorite Roma tomatoes, which is an ox heart. Cause I tried growing an ox heart last year and I'm not sure what happened, but it was an epic fail. It flowered and would not set any fruit. So I had no clue, but yet I had tomatoes all around my garden. Everything was pollinated. Everything was going well. So that one was kind of interesting. And then every time I've tried to grow shallots, epic fail, but <laughs> I will keep trying. <laughs> I will keep trying. Um, but see, I can see why now your account is called not never enough dirt because <laughs> you grow so many things that yeah. uh, you never have enough dirt probably. Yeah, that's um, that that's kind of play on dirt and uh, soil building and basically space. A lot of the, the plants I grow, um, it takes, if I had uh, all the space in the world, it'd be awesome. But that constraint has actually helped me a lot because with, with the limited space, I've learned that in, in Southern California, we have the enough heat, enough sunlight to actually grow quite a bit per square foot of space. So I really tuck in a lot into a square foot of space. Uh, it's almost a necessity here in, in Southern California because of that sun. Uh, if, you're, if your soil is exposed and it's gonna, gonna cook it and it's gonna hurt the plant. So um, as I was saying earlier, when I, with the tomatoes, as the determinate plants grow, uh, the leaves will fall off from the bottom. So I tried to plant something in there and that's a great way to get another plant out of the, the square footage of dirt. So yeah, um, I, I try, I try to grow as much as I can. And, and I am also into the non-edible side of plants. I just really love anything botanical, any plant related. So um, if uh, I can fit everything I can into this property, I, I'll try. Yeah. And then there's like, we haven't even touched on the uh, idea of like using vertical space to maximize, right? So yes, 
you have 8,000 square feet on your lot, but then you have this vertical space that you can work with if you create structures and, and you, again, being purposeful in mm-hmm. using our spaces, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually where I'm, I'm looking at now because um, as we're, as, as a population, we're, we're looking to grow more plants in a limited amount of a space. So a lot of, uh, I see that we're shifting to growing indoors. And I read in the news, um, I think in the city of commerce, which is nearby where near LA, they already have a warehouse where they're starting to grow indoors. And a lot of, and I, I look at the setup and a lot of that has to do with these like vertical tubes. And I'm like looking, I, I, probably, I could probably squeeze some of that kind of a setup on the side of my house, <laughs> you know, dangle it from the eaves. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, you know, the kids ever move out, you know, people are looking, Hey, what am I going to do with this extra room? Well, maybe I put some grow, grow <laughs> plants or grow setups here. But, hey, yeah. Some people are already doing that. There's just a special plant that they're growing though. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 But yeah, the whole vertical gardening thing too, that's like a whole nother, that could be its own episode for our podcast, but you know, people do see uh, vertical towers for growing, whether outside, um, people are using rain gutters and hanging them on like chains. And so they're almost just like stacked like a ladder, which is really cool too. So yeah, I mean, really the idea of, um, looking at our spaces, jamming in what we can, um, in the sense of it being purposeful. So like, yes, as things grow taller and you have lower growing plants, it helps the soil from drying out just again, because, when it gets hot here in Southern California, it gets hot. And we're not, if you don't have drip irrigation set up on a timer and you work full time, you could start your morning or your plants look great and come home and they're all wilted and sad looking in a matter of, you know, nine hours of Southern California sun. So yeah, just being able to just look at all of our square footage and figuring out not everything is about growing those edible plants. Like you mentioned, a lot of us do use our spaces to, to grow flowers to grow uh, things for the pollinators. Um, A lot of us grow milkweed and different things just because we are trying to attract bees to our our garden or or butterflies. And that that takes a space. So it's kind of like that debate. Do I grow things that I can't eat? Do I grow things that I eat? And it's kind of like that balance. And I've always I started off as a gardener thinking like, I only wanted to grow things that I can eat. Why would I grow a flower? Oh, well, I guess maybe I can make a floral arrangement, you know, like, so I have to like debate in my head and balance out the use of my space. Like, what do I want? What will be, um, in terms of production and yield? And it goes back to having a purpose for that space. What, what do I hope to gain from that space in growing this or that? But yeah, I've gotten to a better place of balancing out growing things that I can't eat, but it's because it's a purpose. I've started growing a lot of calendula because there is a purpose for calendula that I do harvest and use it. But at the same time, I also see a lot of pollinators love calendula and they come and visit and they need that as a source too. So yeah, just kind of like that shift in approach over the years has definitely changed for me too. Yeah. I want to, want to add on that. It's something that you build on. And um, if there are people who are starting out that are listening on, on this podcast, it's, it's important to build on your skill and not see what I'm doing and go, Hey, what, 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 why am I not doing that? So um, build on your skill, add uh, flowers um, as you're comfortable um, and focus on getting your 
your initial plants happy and then add flowers later. Or if you're growing flowers, you know, add edibles later. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for joining us for today's episode. Um, so just out of curiosity, where can people find you um, if they want to connect with you and learn more? Oh, I'm on uh, Instagram a lot. Um, I do a lot of stories to give up behind the scenes. And every now and then I'll drop in some kind of gardening tips. And uh, I also do the same thing on my YouTube channel. I do a lot of garden tours right now uh, because I, I like to see other people's garden. And on it, I also drop in some tips here and there about uh, how to grow with respect to the time of year or uh, with respect to a certain type of pests or problem. Uh, but uh, Instagram is where I hang out most of the time. And in the future, I'm going to do more uh, YouTube videos on cooking demonstrations and kind of try to be a coach and get people to, to be successful in what they want to achieve. Uh, I also have a web page, neverenough.dirt.com. It's um, kind of sitting in the in collecting dust at the moment, but at some point I also want to put in some helpful information. So that's great. So for me, I know I've learned so much from following Brian on his Instagram account. He's got ducks. He puts information about grafting fruit trees. He does grow lots of unique varieties tons of cooking and gardening tips. So I highly encourage you to connect with him. So I'll be sure to add links uh, to how you can connect with Brian and to his accounts in the show notes for this episode on our website. But at this point, I do want to say thank you to you, Brian, for joining us on today's episode. And thank you to our listeners. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow this podcast. Please know that we appreciate your support. You can also follow us on Instagram at TLC Mini Farm or visit our website at tlcminifarm.com. Until next time, happy homesteading, everyone. <laughs>